Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 150. Experience of Induction of Labour. Quite often I'll see an article come out Maybe I'll see it on social media and I'll click on it and I'll think, yep, I'll come back to that. That looks really interesting. Today, I'm going to talk about one such article. This is a recent article on experience of induction of labour, a cross-sectional postnatal survey of women in UK maternity units. And the first author is Dr. Mari Harkness in Stirling University. Now, this is an interesting topic for me because many of you will know we have rising induction of labour rates so women are increasingly being booked for an induction of labour or being advised to have an induction of labour and I spend significant amounts of my time seeing women that don't want an induction of labour not least because they've heard it's a poor experience And I know this is a pretty much national problem because when I went to the British Intrapartum Care Conference last autumn, everyone was discussing about the difficulty with induction, lots of women having an induction and it being a poor experience and a very long, drawn-out process, which was certainly not an ideal start to labour or a good birth experience. And whilst instinctively common sense tells me for many women induction is not a good experience, people listen when you have data to back it up. So I looked at this article to see, okay, is experience of induction of labour actually how I think it is? So this article was based on a questionnaire-based postnatal survey which was undertaken as part of a larger study, the CHOICE study, which looked at choice around induction of labour or not. And they looked at 309 women who had an induction of labour in different NHS maternity units. There's clinical evidence that suggests oh, induction of labour doesn't increase the risk of caesarean birth, instrumental birth, types of pain relief and so on. But we know that in practice, trying to replicate what happens in a research environment seems to be somewhat different. And that sort of comes back to what I talked about in episode 134, Safety Clutter, where... We talked about work as 
imagined or prescribed versus work as done. So how we might imagine induction of labour to take place or how it might take place when performing research on induction of labour may be very different from actual induction of labour in a busy maternity unit. So the background was that they wanted to look at the impact of induction on women's birth experiences. They were starting from the basis of looking at different elements of induction with fixed questions and free text questions about what they called CR, cervical ripening, breaking the waters and then subsequent use of syntocinon. And they used something called the labour agent tree scale to try and measure a sense of control during childbirth. And they also used questions about information and decision making from the Scottish National Maternity Survey. And they piloted the questionnaire with people before actually putting it into practice. And originally they planned to compare those women that were having cervical ripening agents and then going home and those that were staying in hospital. So their sample size was on the basis of they could then compare those two experiences. But they had difficulty with recruitment and they discovered that actually there weren't as many women as they thought who were actually having cervical ripening at home. As health practitioners, we tend to make the assumption that having part of the induction process, the cervical ripening at home, would be more acceptable to women, a positive um, experience for women. And so the results are quite interesting. So the first thing that struck me looking at the results is that 57% of women reported they had no choice or no alternative option about having induction of labour. Now that is a massive failing in my book. We may be recommending a course of action, but we should be giving a woman information on which to make her choice. To feel you have no choice is very difficult and I definitely see that in my daily practice women who are are you going to allow me to do this am I going to have to be induced that's definitely the language they use regardless of whether that's how we feel we are explaining it only half 50% felt they fully understood what to expect during induction and lots of women expressed in the free text that they were anxious about the well-being of their baby and it was that anxiety about the well-being of their baby that had influence on their decision to accept induction. Women talked about being under a lot of pressure from health professionals and being scared because people were talking about stillbirth. And it is tricky, It's, it's very difficult to lay out the risks and we do have to do that. We don't want to be paternalistic and hide risks from women but equally we need to explain them in a way that puts them in perspective Um, what is the stillbirth rate rather than well you need to have this because your baby might die 
The other interesting thing is 48% of respondents stated that having an induction changed their plans for labour and birth. And this is what I see frequently. It restricts women's choices. It makes a massive difference to their place of birth, their pain relief options, fetal heartbeat monitoring, their ability to move around. It has massive repercussions. So changes included being unable to use water, being unable to use a midwifery led unit or home birth. In terms of time spent in hospital, women experienced a variety of lengths of time in hospital. There was a mean time from starting cervical ripening to transfer to labour ward of 22 hours. To be honest, actually that's not very long. Um, I'm quite surprised that that was the the median. Um, unfortunately, at the current time, I know in lots of units up and down the country can be considerably longer. But the longest duration of an antenatal stay was 11 days. I mean, that's wholly unacceptable, isn't it? Some women went home during that cervical ripening process and women described delays at almost every stage of the induction process. The main delay being tra being transferred from the antenatal area to the labour ward, either because they were waiting to have their waters broken or being transferred quite late on when they were in labour. And women found this confusing because on the one hand we were telling women that their baby was at risk or their health was at risk and then they sat in hospital for a long time or were told there was no bed for them. So that contradictory information contributed to poor experience. On the antenatal ward, women described lack of privacy, lack of sleep, lack of food, shortfall in support from midwives. I was labouring behind a curtain said one person, no privacy, others around me. And unfortunately, that's something I recognise. We don't provide women with a really suitable environment for that labour care. And we need to move these women swiftly to labour ward when they're contracting like this. But the reality is that sometimes doesn't happen there was also feedback about the ability of their birth partner to be with them during the induction process um, and that was uh, very difficult and also maybe getting into established labour on the antenatal ward, approaching second stage, the time when they were going to give birth before being transferred to labour ward. So 38% of women who remained in hospital and 44% of those who went home did not feel comfortable with their decision to have the induction. 22% who were in hospital and 31% who went home were worried that induction might not be safe. And 36% of those who went home reported anxiety about going home. But there was some benefit of going home to having more support from family and friends with 97% of women who went home feeling they had good family support throughout 
versus 67% of women who stayed in hospital. I think as health professionals, we've introduced outpatient induction of labour, making that assumption that women will prefer that less stay in hospital. And for us, it's also beneficial. We need less beds if there are less women in hospital and the midwives have to care for less women. So we need to be careful. Are we introducing outpatient induction because really that's what women want? Or are we doing it because we've got a system problem and we're actually at capacity? It was awful reading some of the vignettes. For example, I felt choices were taken away from me. I felt like things happened to me rather than being part of any decision. For me, one of the most interesting results was Table 4 sense of control during induction of labour. And that was interesting because there were high levels of fear being tense. For example, 61% of women felt tense, 49% felt fearful, 39% felt helpless or powerless. But then... 81% felt they were with people that cared about them. 48% felt confident. 69% felt important. So it was a real mix of very negative um, and positive uh, feelings. The one that interested me the most was the question, I felt good about my behaviour. 79% agreed they felt good about my behaviour. That whole question is just jarring to me. I mean, again, it's, it's that weird thing of an expectation of how one should behave in labour and the fact that you're not in control of your environment and that other people may or may not be judging your behaviour. I just found that question very odd. Um, Maybe that's just my ignorance. Maybe that's a a very normal thing to be asking on this scale. Around one third of women felt a failure. 40% felt powerless. And about half felt fearful. On a happier note, 35 women described experiences that were positive. And when you look at their feedback, it's about feeling safe, cared for and listened to. They talk about supportive staff, being well informed, felt every decision was genuinely theirs. So what conclusions did they make in this study? And I'll put the study in the programme notes so you can go and explore it yourself. The conclusions were it was a period of anxiety, pain and discomfort. Women felt powerless and lacking control. But I think it, for me, it comes back to decision making. It's really important to have a proper discussion about decision making. And a lot of women felt that they had very little choice. So preparing women as to why an induction might be recommended and what the alternatives are and what the actual risks and benefits are would be really helpful 
I know at my work and some other units, people are running induction workshops to try and help women understand the different stages of the induction process, what it might mean for them and what to expect. But explaining to women what to expect when we're having difficulties with delays during induction and a less than perfect system slightly worry me too. Yes, it's helpful that the woman is informed and understands what she's letting herself in for when she's making that decision. But also, I don't want to acclimatise women to a poor experience and the idea that actually induction is going to be a poor experience. So us really thinking about how we communicate and talk to women and listen to them and support them while they're going through that process, as well as helping them with that initial decision-making, seems really crucial. Understanding as obstetricians and midwives that if we suggest induction, which we do an awful lot, and I've done a previous episode on how it's kind of a blunt tool that we use to tackle all sorts of different things, it's really important for us to think through what are the ramifications of that. We should only be suggesting induction where that really is, having given it a lot of thought, the best possible recommendation for that woman and her baby. We need to be conscious that when we suggest induction, we are potentially removing multiple options and choices from that woman. And then we need to be mindful that we've already stressed and upset and wrong-footed and changed that woman's plans, potentially, so that she's going to need even more support from staff while she goes through our induction process. And I think one of the big take-home messages for me was that actually having an induction at home may be more anxiety-provoking And I shouldn't necessarily assume that outpatient cervical ripening, outpatient induction would be more homely and a better option for women because actually that isn't what women are telling us in the survey. It's really important that we help women feel both physically and psychologically safe. 49% of women in the survey reported feeling fearful during their induction. Many described an experience that was traumatic with lasting negative impact, and that's of massive concern. Their conclusion is really what I want to bring your attention to for the zesty bit. Induction of labour is not a benign, consequence-free intervention. Induction causes anxiety and removes options for birth that women had hoped would enhance their experience and outcome. And therefore, we need to consider really carefully the risks and benefits when offering induction and make sure women really understand the absolute as well as relative risks of continuing the pregnancy rather than induction. And we as health professionals have a responsibility 
to weigh these up too and understand the impact a decision for induction can have rather than tossing it into the mix as a easy thing for us to offer and suggest. I think we need to apply induction much less indiscriminately maybe. We're allowing induction rates to rise for numerous good reasons but coming back to the kind of principle of do no harm we are potentially doing harm so every decision for induction needs to be carefully weighed up and thought about with that individual woman for her individual circumstance i very much hope you found this episode of the obs pod interesting if you have it'd be fantastic if you could subscribe rate and review on whatever platform you find your podcasts, as well as recommending the OBS pod to anyone you think might find it interesting. There's also tons of episodes to explore in my back catalogue, from clinical topics, my career and journey as an obstetrician, and life in the NHS more generally. I'd like to assure women I care for that I take confidentiality very seriously and take great care not to use any patient identifiable information unless I have expressly asked the permission of the person involved on that rare occasion when it's been absolutely necessary. If you found this episode interesting and want to explore the subject a little more deeply, don't forget to take a look at the programme notes where I've attached some links. If you want to get in touch to suggest topics for future episodes, you can find me at The Obs Pod on Twitter and Instagram and you can email me theobspod at gmail.com. Finally, it's very important to me to keep The Obs Pod free and accessible to as many people as possible. But it does cost me a very small amount to keep it going and keep it live on the internet. So if you've enjoyed my episodes and by chance you do have a tiny bit to spare, you can now contribute to keep the podcast going and keep it free via my link to buy me a coffee. Don't feel under any obligation, but if you'd like to contribute, you now can. Thank you for listening.